Well, stand with me one more time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You so much for the opportunity to just bless that baby. Thank You for baby Elizabeth. Lord, we, we thank You that each and every one of us, there is a specific vision, there is a specific purpose that You have laid in our hearts from the foundation of the earth to accomplish. So Lord, I thank You that as we begin this new series this morning, Lord, I thank You that You will make my tongue the pen of a ready writer that I would speak a word that was in season to all of us. I yield myself to the Spirit of God that lives within me, that you would lead and guide me into all truth, and that I may speak as of the oracles of God, that word which is in due season for this appointed time this morning, in Jesus' name. Take your Bibles and say this with me. This is my Bible. It is the Word of God. It is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I choose, I make a conscious decision as an act of my free will to live my life, to govern my life, what I think, what I say, and what I do according to this word. And now I believe, I will receive everything you have for me this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Preach. Well, you know, it seems a little one-sided this morning. I, I'm, not, I'm not making any. Just one side. I don't know what happened to this side right over here. They all went on vacation, I guess. Yeah. I, you know, you don't, you don't try. You don't, we all know that you don't really have assigned seating in church, but everybody knows you. Have a place you like to sit. Amen? Amen. Habakkuk. That's where we're going to begin this morning. Habakkuk chapter 2. We're going to begin there. We're going to be talking about vision. Now, uh, last week I began to talk on rest. And I asked you, I charged you. I said, why not? I want you to enter in to a place of rest with me for the next two weeks. And really charged you to really enter into the, to the rest. And the rest that we talked about was not rest from labor, but rest for labor. Amen? Not rest from work because we're all so tired. I mean, you know, the Lord didn't, uh, the, our Father God, He didn't wear Himself out creating the earth. And so He needed a day off. <laughs> That's not what happened. What happened was He institutionalized and, and put into practice the principle of rest for all of us. And rest means taking your hands off of that which you have control in your sphere of influence. And we talked a little bit about that. And I challenged you to enter into that rest with me. Well, now we're coming off. We're, we're, we're starting to come off that rest. And I really had it on my heart to really recast the vision for New Covenant Church. And so I wanted to really start this new series off and really talk about vision. So I'm going to be talking about vision, what it is and, and what's the purpose of vision how vision helps us in our lives. And so we're going to be ramping up and getting ready. And on August 16th, somebody say August 16th, is a Sunday in August. And we're going to be recasting the vision for New Covenant Church. Um, so we're going to have some exciting things and we're going to be talking about some things. And I just think it's good to recast the vision. It's just good. It's been a while since we've talked about it. We've been through a lot together. And so I want to get that vision out. We're going to recast it so that those who hear it and see it can run with it. Habakkuk chapter 2. Now, let me lay the foundation for Habakkuk. Everybody say Habakkuk. 
That's not, that never was one of your scripture memory verses when you were growing up in children's church, was it? Habakkuk. Sounds like some kind of chewing tobacco, don't it? Habakkuk. I'm just kidding. Habakkuk. Now, I want to uh, kind of set the stage. Habakkuk was one of the minor prophets. He began to pray. And he began to see the devastation of the earth, of his people. He began to see that there were things that were going on in the earth that were evil. He began to see how the children of Israel were still persecuted. Were still, they were not living up to their potentials. Anybody think that sounds familiar today? And so he began to whine and complain to God. And he began to say some things. And the Lord, the Lord gave him instruction. And in chapter 2, this is where we, we begin. He began to cry out. In chapter 2, verse 1, he said, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. Now, we're not going to focus so much on that right now because we're going to touch base with that not next week, but the week after that. We're going to talk about how vision comes but I want to lay the foundation. And so chapter, verse 2, it says, Then the Lord answered me. See, when you call on the Lord, He'll answer you. It may not be at the moment that you think, but when you call, He'll answer. And this was in the old covenant. He said, Write the vision. and Make it plain on tablets that He may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Now, Dad Hagen, the late Kenneth E. Hagen, who was one of, uh, one of the most profound uh, people who spoke into my life, one of my fathers in the faith, had a saying, and he said that in Ecclesiastes it says that we're a tree, fall, we're a tree lays that where it, that's where it falls. I thought that's pretty profound. Where a tree lays is that where it falls. Meaning that when you cut a tree, there's not a whole lot you can do about the direction of it. It's going to lay where it falls. But if you're a woodsman, if you've ever cut a tree down and you've watched some of these lumberjacks, there's an art to laying that tree down to where you want it to go. And a lumberjack knows that you have to specifically cut it in certain places if you want it to land here or you want it to land there. But the other side of that coin is not just how to cut it, but a lot of times there's a lot of little small trees in the way. And if you want that tree to land in a certain spot and delay in that spot, you're going to have to clear out some of the underbrush because a tree can fall and hit another tree, and by the time it hits the ground, it's in a totally different spot than you wanted. And so with vision, that's what I'm endeavoring to do. A lot, he would say a lot of... Uh, you know, teaching and preaching a sermon is a lot like that. So we're going to kind of cut some of the underbrush. We're going to try to lay some foundation before we get ready to lay that big tree down on the ground. Everybody said amen? So what is vision? Well, vision is nothing more than a revelation. It's a divine communication. Everybody say divine communication. A guiding communication. From the Lord. The primary essence of the word is not so much the vision or dream itself, but the message it conveys. Everybody say message. It's the message that it conveys. You can, you can have a vision from the Lord, but it's not the vision itself that is the, the, the principal thing, but the message that the vision, come on, somebody, the message. That the vision conveys. You may see yourself driving something or building something or 
marrying somebody. Can I get a witness on that one? You may see your children doing something or achieving something. But it's not so much the vision itself that's the principal thing, but it's the vehicle, if you will, that God uses to convey the message. Vision is so important that if you don't have vision, you're in the dark. Just in the natural sense, uh, people have learned how to live life without vision. Anyone that's been blind or anyone that's had sight but then lost it. They learned to live their life without that, that, um, that ability to see, but they're still limited. They can function, they can get around, and some of them get around very well. I, I saw a uh, documentary on a guy that learned to make this sound with his mouth like a popping sound, and it, he developed his own sense of radar where he could tell you specifically where things were without, without even using a walking cane, he could do that. But how many of you know he is still limited in what he can see? Vision is seeing. Say that with me. Vision is seeing. Well, what is God's vision? And why is it so important? Habakkuk tells us. He says, write the vision. Make it plain that he, who run, that he may run who reads it. To run, that word run means to guard, but it means to travel. It means to take one's legs and move more rapidly than walking. How many of you know that he could have said, write the vision, make it plain so that those who read it may walk? No, he said run. That word run in the Hebrew carries an urgency. You remember last week I said that God's never in a hurry. But God is, 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 is a on time, line upon line, plan upon plan God. But He also has a sense of urgency with Him. There is a, there is a sense of uh, excitement that comes along with that word run. You ever caught a vision from somebody? Maybe you, uh, uh, politicians are great at it. Come on now, we got to talk about it. I mean, the elections next year, let's just go ahead and talk. There's going to be a lot of video, a lot of sound bites of everybody's vision for America. And in those visions, they are going to cast a lot of things. They're going to say a lot of things. And they're going to paint a rosy, picture-perfect canvas for you about what America will be in 2016. And if you'll vote for me, we'll take America beyond its borders. We'll eliminate every disease and every crime and we'll all just float on flowery beds of ease for the next four years. How many of you know that's not true? But people get caught up in it. We get caught up in it. Because it's the power a vision. It's, it's declaring, it's speaking that vision. And no matter what vision we can, you can have a good vision. You can have a, 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 a functional, prosperous, God-given vision. But you can have an evil vision too that, that is not good. And people will catch that and run with it. Uh, men of old. You think Hitler got as far as he did by not being a vision caster? No, he casts. He casted a vision. That Jews are inferior and we need to wipe them out. 
and they caught that vision. Vision is better caught than taught. That's why you don't need a whole lot of evidence. You don't need a whole lot of instruction. That's why politicians are so good at it. You get up there and you cast that vision. The people will swallow it, hook, line, sinker, rod and reel, and the fishermen and take off after it. It is a... Uh, it is it's the vision. It's the way God created. He created us for vision. When God created Adam, He said, I have created all of this for you. Now you have dominion. You have authority. And, and He called a vision and began to name every animal individually and distinctively. See, God didn't tell him the names. He named them. The elephant, He named. The giraffe, he, named, he called a vision for what God had put in him for the entire earth. And that vision is what God has put inside of man. He has instilled, He has created us, inside of us, a capacity for vision. There is a vision inside of you. Why is vision so important? Why is this message that it conveys so important? Well, we talked about running. There's an urgency. Romans 8, 18. Turn there with me. Romans 8, 18. Are you believing with me this morning? We're going to go a whole lot further if you believe with me. Don't just rely on me. Believe God. Amen. Romans 8, 14. Or 8, 18. Excuse me. Romans 8, 18. 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation, everybody say expectation, of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to Subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know, you ready, that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. Listen to me, guys. The earth, in case you haven't noticed, and everything that it entails is eagerly waiting and groaning for the sons and daughters of God to rise up and to take that vision and to run with it. The very earth is groaning for us once and for all to take our place and begin to do and and be about the kingdom business that God has called us to be. I like the message version. It says, The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back. God reigns in it until both creation and all the creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. The earth is groaning for what's inside of you. I'm going to say that again. The earth is groaning for what's inside of you. If you don't have the vision, 
If you don't have a vision, see now I'm going to talk to you about personal vision. If you don't have a vision for your life, I have a friend of mine who says, if you don't know where you're going, you'll take every road. If you don't know where you're going, you'll take every road. God has a vision specifically for us. Now, there's a corporate vision for the body of Christ, but there's also an individual vision for the body of Christ. There's a corporate vision for believers, but there's an individual, thank you, Lord Jesus, vision for Michelle Spearman, for Mr. Timmy Spearman. There is a specific vision that God has laid for us. Now, there's a corporate uh, believer body of Christ vision for all the churches, and then there is a specific vision that God has laid for New Covenant Church. Not only does your vision, does the vision tell you and show you where you're going, it gives you the road map to get there, but it also tells others. He said so that those, anybody who read it, I like that. I like that vision. They catch it and they run with it. It's also for, it's also for them. The vision tells us where we're going. It, it casts the, it casts the visual, if you will. It puts it up on the screen. Hey, guys, this is where we're going. And people that read it, they run with it. What's the vision for your life? In Acts chapter 18, I'm, I'm going to turn there, and then we're going to switch gears real quick. Is that okay? Acts chapter 18, I want you to turn there. Acts chapter 18. Let me tell you the final thing that I see that vision, that vision does. So... Vision conveys a message. Vision tells you where you're going and helps you keep on track. But the third thing that it does is it keeps you motivated and it keeps you safe. Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. We're going to start with verse 9. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Now let me lay the background for this, okay? 34 AD, Paul on the road, to Dema- on the, on the road his eyes, be- he gets smitten by God, and God says to him, why are you persecuting my people? And in that, in that moment, he gets born again, gives his life to the Lord. That's 34 AD. Somebody say 14 years later. Paul begins his first missionary journey. Sets out in the book of Acts. um, In the book of Acts, I believe it's uh, chapter uh, 13. The elders gather around and the Lord, they were fasting and praising God. And the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul. Everybody say Barnabas and Saul. How many years? 14 years later. Separate me, them. For the work that I've called him to. 14 years, God gave him a vision. He begins to set out. He begins to, he always tries to go to the Jewish people and they end up just, just beating him. It's his people. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the one that everybody attained to be like. He was the Pharisee and radical conversion, gave his life to the Lord, began to take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. So he goes to the Gentiles. 
After getting in a heated debate with his companion and friend, Barnabas, he starts his second missionary journey without him. The Holy Spirit said, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul. The second missionary journey, he goes with Silas. He doesn't take Barnabas because they have a knockdown, drag out fight with his best friend. His ministry companion, he is no longer ministering with. Starts his second missionary journey to strengthen the churches. And that's when he was beaten and thrown into prison. Then departs for Athens and leaves Silas, Timothy. And while he's there, begins to pray for them that they preach and that they not mock him. And only a few few stay with him. Then he was beaten and left for dead and was raised up and strengthened by the brethren. So, how many years was all of that? So somebody say 17 years later, the word of the Lord came to Paul and said, Forget not the vision that I've given you. See, when you feel beat down, when you feel like you've been rowed hard and put up wet, you know what I'm talking about? That's a horse colloquialism. You know what I'm talking about? They take the saddle off the horses, they brush the horse. You put that horse up like that and it's just, it's not good. It don't smell good and the horse don't like. Yeah, how many of you have felt like that? You've just, I mean, Lord, I've given you everything I got and you, I've been beaten and left for dead. And I mean, all I wanted to do was strength. All I did was go pray for her. That's why vision is so important because vision will help keep you on track. It will help keep you motivated. But here's the other thing. Proverbs 29, 18 says this. It said, without vision, my people perish. One translation says, without a vision, a people are made naked. Any of you like going to the store naked? Why? Why? Because you're exposed. You're vulnerable. Everybody can see everything about you. There ain't nothing to hide it. I mean, you can dress up. Anybody can put on a nice coat. And Somebody asked me a while ago, said, was this scarf for show or for blow? <laughs> and I said, well, I guess it depends on how. If I got to sneeze or something, I'll reach up there and grab it. Anybody can, I mean, we can all, we all wear clothes. We all like to dress up. But how many of you know you can't, you can't dress up naked? It's just there. You're naked and it's just, that's, it is what it is and you are what you are. When you, you know what I'm saying? Without vision, you're walking around life butt naked. Without vision, there's no revelation, the New King James says. The, uh, the new, uh, the, another translation says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. When you don't know where you're going, when we don't have direction in our life, we'll just cast off restraint and just go anywhere. How many of you know that's dangerous? It says, where there is no vision, my people will perish. They per- we perish for lack of vision. One translation that says, where there is no vision, listen to this, no redemptive revelation of God. Vision is redemptive. God-given vision is redemptive. What is redemption? Redemption is the act of being saved from sin. It's the act, listen to this, of regaining possession in exchange for a payment of some type. 
Mm. True God-given vision is an exchange for what you don't have. I'm going to give you now vision. I'm going to give you purpose. I'm going to give you and put you back in the place where you were lost. I'm going to put you back into that place before Adam's sin, before the, in the Garden of Eden, before everything that we know as, as we know it was there. I'm going to put you back in that place. That's what vision does. Now go to Ephesians. I'm going to show you what God's vision is for your life and my life. Ephesians. Thank you, Lord. Ephesians chapter 1. True God-given vision is always redemptive. It's always got the redemptive quality. What was I? Something I read the other day and it just, man, I'm telling you what, it stirred me up. I want to read it to you. Vision is always redemptive. When we were born again, we became thoroughly equipped to engage our original purpose and destination, which was to live in the constant fellowship and glory of God, so much so that Christ in us now becomes the hope and the beacon of light for the entire planet. When, when God, when Jesus came, what did He do? Jesus began to cast vision. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. He came and He said, the thief comes. The vision for the enemy is to come and to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come. The purpose for I'm coming. Let me cast my vision. The purpose for why I came was to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. I mean, life in and of itself is wonderful. But He came to give us abundant life. I am so, I get so fed up with people who try to put a limit on what God can do in our lives. Like there's a limit to His goodness. Like there's a limit to the vision that He can give. Well, now don't get too far out there, brother. You know, Sister Carol, don't get too far out there. You know, then you don't want to be in excess. He gave us life, not just life, but more abundant life. Who made you or that person or whoever it was who can draw the line in the sand? Well, now you've gone too far. That's that's just too far. Who decides that line? Well, I got a vision to, uh, to start a company to totally revolutionize and change the way people interact. With computers. And people called him crazy. But he developed and built one of the most successful companies in the world. Apple Computers. They told him he was crazy too. They told, they told another man that he was crazy because he said, I came to give life and to give it more abundantly. And to create the capacity for everyone that ever lives and ever believes in my name to be able to do the works that I do and even do them greater. And his name was Jesus and they called him They thought he was so crazy, they put him on the cross and crucified him. 
Don't put limits on God. Don't put limits on what He can do in your marriage. Don't put limits on what He can do in your children's lives. Don't put limits. God gives you something. God drops something down in your heart. Don't put limits on it. And don't let anybody else put limits on it. Well, that's just too big. No, the God that I know is, what, Papa Bill? Exceedingly. Abundantly. Not just above all you could ask, but He is above all that you could even comprehend with your your God-given mentality and brain. He is above that. God desires, His his desire, His plan, His purpose, and what He did through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, He did to give you a vision of what life can be like once again as if sin never existed. And I'm going to show you that. Ephesians chapter 1. What is God's vision for our life. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Now, this is one of the few times in Scripture, listen to me, this is one of the few times in Scripture where we actually have a transcripted prayer. There's another, there's another prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 and also in Colossians. You can go and read those, those two prayers. Colossians also has a prayer as well. But in Ephesians, this is a God-given prayer inspired by the Holy Ghost to the Apostle Paul. And we are actually, listen to me, we are actually there in the room when he prays on his knees. You ready? Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. You ready? Fast forward. Rewind back in history. The Apostle Paul is on his knees and he is bowing his head, bowing his knees and he goes to the Father and he says, Father, and we are right there. You ready? This is what he prays. Father, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of His calling. Which... What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe? According to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ Jesus when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him in His right hand in heavenly places. Far above all principalities and all power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in that which is to come. And He put all things under His feet gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. What is God's vision for our life? Surprisingly enough, God's vision and first and foremost priority for your life is not to make the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ known throughout all the earth. Go back, to, uh, go back to verse 17. What is God's vision? Well, God's vision is for you to go and preach the gospel and get everybody saved you can before you die and go to heaven. Is that His will? 
What is His vision for our life? Do you want to know why praise and worship is such a hard thing for people and why the enemy comes and attacks praise and worship more than anything? Because it is the thing that we have, that we give our adoration and we actually commune with the Father. See, worship is the highest expression of devotion and trust. When God said, uh, I'm looking for worship, and those who worship me will worship me with specific songs because I'm looking for worship. I want to be worshipped. No, 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 no. He said, I'm looking for worshipers. What is God's vision for our life? What is His vision for your life? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom wisdom and revelation in the what? Your highest and greatest calling in your life is to know God. How can you preach? How can you talk? How can you do anything for God? If you don't know Him. Listen to me. He wants to know you. Take your rules and regulation that you've been taught. This is what you've got to do to be a believer. And I want you to do this. And I want you to rip it up. When I was in Campus Outreach, Presbyterian-based organization, thank God for the Presbyterian-based organizations, that instilled into me discipline. (laughs) Discipline in and of itself does not create any attribute in you. It just helps you function in your God-given gifts in a greater way. You can't teach a, a dog tricks. Some dogs are just by nature. It is instilled into them to hunt. It is instilled into them to dig. My dog is a, is a Dotson. He's one of them long weenie dogs, what we call them, the hot dog dogs. And you put him outside in the ground and what's he going to do? He's going to dig and he's going to find something dead and roll around in it. Why? Because in his breed, they were bred to go after badgers in their hole. And so they will dig and go after badgers. And they will camouflage themselves in that scent. Discipline helps you become what God has created you to be. And so I was a part of this organization, and it was one of the best sayings I ever picked up on them was God's purpose for your life is to know God and to make Him known. Not all this. Just throw that away. His first and foremost priority is for you to have knowledge. Of him Now, I want you to go to Matthew chapter 7. I'm trying to lay this big tree down before we get out of here, so bear with me, okay? Are you with me? Matthew chapter 7. Come on, stay with me while it's, we're picking up steam. We, we, we're getting ready to lay, cut this big tree down. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Uh-oh shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. You there? Matthew chapter 7. What? Lord, Lord. 
But Lord, Lord, not everyone who does that will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father. Now, hold it right there. Remember that. What is the will of the Father? You ready? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never... I never got your signed attendance form from Sunday morning church. I never saw you in church. Well, you did prophesy and you did some things, but you didn't do enough. Depart from me. You didn't do enough. What does he say? I never knew you. That word in the Greek is gnoskos. It means to know intimately, to be in fellowship with, to be in communion with. Now you may know my wife, April. You may be acquainted with her, but you don't know her like I know her. You may know of God. And there are, listen to me, there are Christians that don't know God. There are people that were raised in church and don't know God. Because the minute we got born again, I mean, we got born again because they scared the hell out of us. Literally. Romans tells me that it's the goodness of God that leads men to the state where they go, I want to change my... That's what repentance means. I want to change my mind, Lord. My God, you are so good. I, I... I don't want to drive that old pickup truck no more, right? I mean, Lord, I don't want to drive that old pickup truck no more. You got a brand new, I mean, you got a brand new vehicle right here and I'm driving this old clunker with my feet. I mean, I'm Flintstone, you know what I'm saying? You're so good, you've blessed me and you've honored me. I just want to serve you. That's what draws men to repentance. But for some of us, we, they scared us. They scared us into the kingdom. I mean, you know, glory to God, it scared you into the kingdom. Loved you into the kingdom, you're in the kingdom. But there are people that in their mind, they think that they're Christians. And they may be Christians. But this tells me, now listen to me, this tells me that you can prophesy, you can cast out demons, and you can do many marvelous works. And the day when you go up to that gate, he's going to say, And they'll even say, Lord, Lord. How is that possible? Because we go back to Ephesians. Your highest and greatest achievement in life is to know God. Because I'm going to tell you something. Are you ready? If you know Him, if you gnosko Him, if you are intimately in fellowship with Him, you can't keep your mouth shut. You just can't do it. I said, glory to God. I, you know, well, you know, brother, I gave my life to the Lord when I was six years old. Yeah, but do you know him? 
Do you know Him? Now, I don't read that passage to scare you. I read that passage to encourage you and to take all those traditions and throw them away. No, 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 no. He wants to know you. I'm not interested, and I've said this to people, and I, I don't know whether some of them believe me and some of them don't. I've sat down with people and I said, I don't care about what you can do for me. I don't care. We as elders, we don't care about your gifts. We care about you. Because your gifts will come out of you. If we nurture you, if we, if we train, if we love on you, if we help you discover who God's called you to be, then guess what? Your gifts will make room for you. That's what the Scripture says. He desires to know you. You catching that? Well, what have you done for the Lord lately? Well, this morning I spent time with him and just got to know him some more and we were fellowshipping and talking before I came here to preach. You didn't get nobody saved? No. Get nobody saved. Didn't get nobody saved, but the Lord in our in our conversation this morning and me just talking and fellowshipping with him, he said, Look here, I got some things I want you to jot down for next year. What? Next? No, 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 no. You don't understand. I got to get ready for today. He said, No, no, I got to. I want you to write this down because I want you to begin to, to teach on this next year. Why? Because, I know, because I'm getting to know Him. Now, when I leave here and I brush up next to somebody, guess what I'm going to tell them who I know? I'm going to tell them about Him. Because I, know, because I know Him. Because I'm knowing Him. Because I'm intimately involved with Him. And so I want Him to just envelop everything. And I want everybody else to be enveloped by Him. Because I want them to know Him too. I'm not interested in your prayer. I'm interested in your heart. Do you want to know Him? I've discovered you can go to church all your life and call yourself a Christian and do good, godly things and not, and not know Him. Not know Him. You know about Him. You know His Word. You can quote it. You can quote His Word. You can lay hands on people. Listen, how many of you know you can, you can come to a service and you and I can praise the song and not the one who created the song? We can get caught up in the excitement of the atmosphere. Glory to God, man, this is exciting. They just, they jamming up there. They say, ha ha, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. And never enter in and embrace the one who wants to know you. Why is worship and praise so challenging? Because it, it, it exposes, exposes you to Him in the most intimate, deepest levels that there are. And only you can do that. He wants to know you. He wants you to know Him. He says, and when I profess to them, I will openly proclaim and I will take off the mask and I will say, depart from me because I never knew you in the complete sense. What? But Lord, Lord, didn't we do all that? I didn't know you. 
So let me ask you this now. Go back to Matthew 7. And he says, Not everyone who says to me shall enter the kingdom, but who? But who shall enter the kingdom of heaven? That's what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he, but he what? But he, who I'm fixing to tell you, who, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. What is the will of the Father? Are you letting that sink in? Are you letting that sink in? Listen to me. I'm telling you, quit trying to get everybody saved in the world as the only way that you prove your worth to a father who says, all I want to do is know you. Why? Because if we know him, we won't be able to shut up about him. Take it, just leave it aside. Take it off. Take it and tear it up and throw it away. I want to know you. How do you get into the kingdom of God? You want to know Him? You got to know Him? You got to be intimately introduced to Him? Now, many people had that experience and they got to know Him, but they never fellowship with Him. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about prodigal son. See, I don't have time to get into it and dive into it because it's such a heated theological debate. But the blood of Jesus took care of everything you could ever do to separate yourself from the love of God. The only thing that you can do to separate yourself from the love of God is not know Him. You can even know Him and then try to leave Him. So the blood of Jesus doesn't cover that. No, no, no. I'm talking about do you know Him? Do you know Him? Secondly, he said that the eyes, go back to Ephesians. Go back to Ephesians. That he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Secondly, that the, that, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in, in the saints. Your heart is your soul, it's your emotions. You, you, you can't, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't have the next, you can't have the next phrase. You can't have to know the hope unless your heart's been enlightened and your understanding's been enlightened. You can't do that. That's a you choice. You first get to know Him and in your getting to know Him and you're gnoscoing and you're fellowshipping with Him and then the eyes of your understanding begin to be enlightened. Now what? Now you got to act on it. You got to make a decision to follow that unction. You got to allow the word to penetrate. You got to allow that fellowship to penetrate inside of you. Because although we are not separated from God from, because of sin, we tend to separate ourselves because of the sin that we tend to hold on to. The only thing separating us is us. And that doesn't even separate us because it says that nothing will separate us from the love of God. But in your mind and in my mind and in our capacity to operate in the function and to flow in this love, we separate ourselves because we hang on to stuff that we think we can't ever get rid of. I watched a, uh, was watching some videos last night and one of the videos said, you don't know what I've done. I can't come to your church. And one guy said, you don't know what I've done. That's why you can come to this church. 
You know, you show me yours and I'll show you mine and it'll trump yours every time. I mean, there's always somebody that's got a deep, darker secret than you do. It's not about that, but that hinders us. It stops us. Why? Because the love and the lavishness of God is so far outweighs the religiousness that we try to separate ourselves. And he says, I just want to know you. (laughs) Bring your baggage to the church. Well, you know, I, I like to do a little of this, and I don't know if I can go to church with that. Come. This is where you need to be. Well, I don't know if I can go over to their house for that connect group because, you know, I don't live at the foot of the cross. Well, neither did we. So this is where you learn how to live at the foot of the cross. You bring, Jesus said, come to me all. Jesus never, the only time Jesus would get angry was with the Pharisees when they would try to resist someone because of some stupid religious law. And he would say, you make people twice the devil you are by your religiousness and you lead them to hell quicker. Come to me all. Everybody say all. All. Now, you're not going to light one up in church, right? That's just common courtesy and respect. But what would you do if you see someone light one up out in the parking lot? You're going to condemn them? WWJD. We all like those bracelets. When did they come out? What, like 10, 15 years ago? WWJD, what would Jesus do? Jesus talked to the woman at the well and in that time was forbidden. Jews didn't talk to women, much less Gentile women. And he's sitting there having a conversation with her. Well, everybody knows you don't talk to somebody who's smoking because you know that's of the devil. Jesus did. Jesus would. Jesus, here, here you go. Jesus circled them all up and said, well, if any of you is without sin... No, no, no. You allow that gnosko to knowing him to penetrate your heart because you've allowed the Word of God. If you don't read the Word of God, this thing is exciting. I mean, we're sitting here with the Apostle Paul as he's praying. That's pretty profound. And the third one is that you would know the hope to which he has called you. Once you know him and once you allow your heart to be enlightened, then you get to find out why. You were put on this planet. Vision. See, vision comes only after you know Him. He didn't say, I pray that the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, in all power and in all wisdom, may grant unto you the vision for your life. No, that you would get the spirit of wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of Him. All I want you to do is know Him. Get to know Him. Just know Him. Then after you get to know Him, then comes all these other things. He wants to know the hope to which you are called. You're called for a hope. There's a hope in you. Everybody say hope. There's a specific hope that God has called you to. And listen to me, sports fans. I'm not talking about in the church. I'm talking about outside the church. I read a story about a a pastor... That's got a huge, huge growing congregation, multiple campuses. 
And there was a doctor that was in his that was in his church, and they were talking one day. And he said, I just can't get away from the vision that God's put in my life. This doctor was talking to the pastor. He said, I got a vision to just help people. I just want to help people. There's people in, 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 in um, less um, wealthy areas, less predominant areas in the city, and they don't have health care. And I just want to help them. And he said, do you really want to help them? And he said, yeah, you got a vision. And the guy wrote the vision and what he saw. He said, if you'll bring me the vision... And you write the vision down and you let God, he said, I'll buy the building for you to do it. They bought the building, put the doctor in there, and to this day they service, I don't know how many thousands of people, with almost free health care because of one man's vision. Now tell me how that applies to the church. I mean to the building. It doesn't. But it applies to the church, which is not the building, which is us. He had a vision, and as a result of that vision, God met the, God met the, uh, the provision for that vision. Oh, that's another message. You want provision? Then you've got to have vision. Boy, if I was a millionaire, what would you do if you had a million dollars? That's another sermon I won't do. Maybe the reason why you and I don't have a million dollars... It's because we ain't wrote out what we do with a million dollars. Anyway, number four, to know the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. Listen, now you're going to experience God's intended life as you serve alongside God's people in the richness of fellowship together, accomplishing the will of God and being about His business, which is kingdom expansion upon the earth. I'm going to get into that later. But the fourth and final thing is not to just know Him, not to be enlightened by His Word, not to know just the hope that He's called you, but now teamwork makes the dream work. This is about team. This is what the church is for. The church is not to serve one another. Listen to me. The church is not just here for us. It's not just here for me and you. It's here for the world. It's here for them. You're here not just for you, but for them. The riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints is the fellowship that we have together, serving arm in arm together in the kingdom of God, expanding the kingdom of God upon the earth. That's what His will is for you. Stand with me. Thank you, Lord. Let me read the message version and then I want to just pray over us. That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the followers of Jesus, I could not stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and give thanks. But I do more than think, I ask. And I ask the God of our Father, Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing Him personally. That your eyes focused and clear, so that you can see exactly what it is He is calling you to do. Grasp 
the immensity of this glorious way of life He has for His followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of His work in us who trust Him. Endless energy and boundless strength. He desires, first and foremost, that you know Him. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I don't want anybody moving around as much as possible. I want to give this time to the Lord. And I want to invite you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come up here and give you the mic. I'm just going to ask you, one thing, do you know Him? Well, you say, well, you know, Pastor Lawrence, I've been, I've been going to church all my life. I mean, my gosh, I went to Bible school. I didn't ask you that. I went to Bible school. I'm asking you, do you know Him? See, I was involved, and I remember having my faith challenged. And I remember knowing the Scripture. And I remember being challenged. And I remember the day when I said, Lord, you know, I'm tired of wrestling with this thing. And I came to that point of decision where I said, you said if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that I want to know you. I remember that. That's what I'm asking you. I'm not asking you, did you grow up? Did you, did you, are you, have you always been a Christian? I'm saying, do you know Him? And if you don't know Him, I want to introduce you to Him today. So if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. I just want you to slip your hand up right where you're at. Maybe you do know Him, but maybe you've done like the prodigal son and maybe you've ran away, you've walked away. And you say, Lord, I, I, I want to come back to You. I want to come back to You. I want to come back to that intimate fellowship with You so that I can begin to know You. I don't want You to go any further. I don't want You to think about anything else. I just want You to understand that God's principal purpose for you being on this earth is to know Him. And you say, I, I just want to know Him. I want to know Him more. I want to know Him in a greater way. If that's you, just slip your hand up. I just want to pray for you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray this prayer with me. I'm going to get everybody involved. Just pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I realize that your ultimate desire for my life is to know you. And so I say, here I am, Lord. I submit my life. I submit my will to you. I confess that you are the Lord of my life. And I want to know you more. I thank you, Lord that as a result of my confession and a belief of my heart, I know you right now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to do something for me. If that was you, grab one of those visitor cards in the front and just fill it out. Please let us, let me know, let us know. We want to pray for you. We want to get you plugged in someplace to a connect group get you plugged in where you can begin to know, where you can begin to be enlightened and allow the Word of God to begin to sharpen you and, and change you from the inside out. I want you to do, would you do that for me? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's just wait on the Lord just for a moment.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory, glory. Oh, Lord, we want to know you. Oh, Lord, we want to know you, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you want to know us. You want to fellowship with us. You want to be intimately involved in our life. Hallelujah. Oh, listen to me. I just see the Father smiling. Just smiling real big. That's all I want. I just want you to come sit in my lap. I just want to talk to you. I just want to know you. I just want to fellowship with you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. Thank you, Lord. Wait on the Lord. Be still and know that I'm God, oh Lord. Be still and know. You can't get to know somebody if all you do, if you're doing all the talking. Fellowship with God, sometimes it's just being quiet and letting Him just love on you and, and speak to you and minister to you. Get the performance mentality out of your mind. It's not about you and me performing. It's about His performance that He's already done. And so you and I just stand in there. We don't have anything to do with it. And we just get to bask and bathe in His extravagant love towards us. No works. No effort. Just let Him love on you. Right now, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You got something? You know, in the, the pastor's sermon this morning, I was reading today in Luke, and it was talking about the John the Baptist. And <clears throat> you know, he John the Baptist was the one who began repentance. And it said that God, that through his tender mercy, not just mercy, but his tender mercy. And that's really what the pastor was talking about, his tender mercy. He's calling you by his tender mercy. God loves you and he's merciful for you. He's not just merciful, but it's with tenderness by his tender mercy. And Father, we thank you for your tender mercy. Your tender mercy. Not harsh, but tender. You're calling us to you. And you said you have given to us the spirit, the ministry of reconciliation. Just to come to know you. To know you, to know you, to know you. Father, we thank you for that. Father, I trust in the prayer of Paul the Apostle that you heard it and that you honored it. So I trust in the fact that, Father God, you have given to us the ability to know you, sir, that we will not be those who, because of our gifts, we rely on our gifts, but we rely on our relationship. Your gifts will always work, sir. 
but it's your relationship. Thank you. Thank you that you give me the opportunity to know you. And I declare to you, Father God's greatest desire is to know you. He's just saying, get to know me. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, Father God, for your anointing. We thank you for your blessing. We thank you for your mercy, your greatness, your tenderness toward us. We thank you for your son, the greatness of what he did, Father God, we can only comprehend through your spirit. We are thankful and grateful, sir, in Jesus' name. You are blessed. Have a blessed day.